0: Hello, nice to have your presence on this 112th episode of the Town Hall Academy Summit as we explore the importance of technical training. Carm Capriato here. And if you just had a fleeting thought that this episode isn't for me, well, I beg to differ. You are the best person to listen. Can my three guests change your perspective on the power of training?
1: Well, here's a taste. But if you don't practice what you've learned, it disappears. So for me, you know, almost, you know, I was thinking... You were taught how to do something, but you really didn't know why right. you were doing right. it. Exactly. Right?
0: Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here, and welcome to our weekly roundtable with aftermarket professionals as we bring a topic to the forefront each week. Now, we do it live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern, and we repurpose the audio and the video the following week. This makes the Town Hall Academy available to every aftermarket professional via your desktop or smart device anywhere in the world. And thanking Jasper Engines and Transmissions for the support of the Academy. You know, your customer's vehicle continues to age, and the likelihood that their engine or transmission is going to wear out is a distinct possibility. Now, when that day comes, Jasper will be the name to remember. Jasper's remanufactured products cost considerably less than a new vehicle, so it just makes sense to choose Jasper. Go to jasperengines.com. I want you to know that I put you front and center. As a listener, I consider you and my tribe of aftermarket professionals who are perpetual students. You are keeping pace with your learning and the impact that automotive technology continues to have on the industry and on your career. Becoming a perpetual student must be your highest professional goal. That's commitment. And thanks for being here to find your one takeaway that will improve your world. Now, don't forget that my guest's bios, links to their previous episodes, and their key talking points are found at RemarkableResults.biz slash A112. Now, meet Ryan Coyman, Director of Training Standard Motor Products, Bob Pattengale, National Training Manager for Bosch, and John Foro, shop owner of AST and Automotive Instructor. We're talking aftermarket training in the age of rapid tech changes. How to navigate your training needs these three professionals have seen it all and are faced with many of the same challenges in providing training to you we talk the importance of pre and post training assessments which is huge today we talk stopping the participation trophies and seeing the same faces in each and every class from their perspective they are concerned that if the aftermarket doesn't make a stronger commitment to training The dealers will take our business. The commitment to training must come from both the technicians and shop owners. We keep hearing that we are in a high-tech industry, and the proof is out there. You've seen so many new ADAS-equipped vehicles. Have you thought about being equipped to repair them? From both the equipment and the intellectual assets you need. Hey, pay attention to this town hall academy and use it to create or improve your commitment to your profession. So we're at AVI, the AVI uh, headquarters and their studios. Uh, what a fabulous facility is here. And Paul Lauer has been uh, just a great host for not only me, but the uh, everyone here who is attending. Not only is there technology classes, I think you taught a, uh, an air conditioning. Air conditioning. Yep. What was the name of it? Keeping it cool. Keeping it cool. That's good. You're doing a hybrid right now.
2: Hybrid and electric vehicles. And,
0: and we're right in between, you know, the, the, the morning and the afternoon session. Correct. So, and and I know that there's been some business management training here too. Now, Bob, what did you teach
1: yesterday? Uh, Start-stop technology.
0: That's so cool, isn't it? We've got a topic here, uh, everyone, that uh, I guess is near and dear to your hearts, but probably one of the most critical topics in the industry, we're not training enough of our technicians and we've got to figure out how to do more of it. Bob, let me ask you the first question. How do we know we need it? Because I know you're big on assessments.
1: Yeah, it's the, you know, the bottom line is you get shop owners ask you all the time, you know, how do we develop technicians? Where are we going to get the next generation of technicians? So the, the request to us is, is universal and it has not changed for probably more than 40 years. So we know that there is an issue, and the question is, how do we engage the shop owners and technicians in a way that they know they're getting the right training they need at the right time and to build their skills? Too much of what we do is generic training where we send out a flyer and we invite a bunch of people to come, but we really don't know if we're targeting the correct audience. So to me, you know, we know what the mission is. We know what we need to do. The question is, are we being effective? at gathering the proper audience and delivering the content that those individuals need specifically. And how do we do that? Any idea? I mean,
0: guys, it, it's, it's like we have to have specific training for specific need
3: and you stop throwing this stuff up against the wall. Right, right. Absolutely. I, I'm a big fan of assessment over the last couple of years as well. Uh, I've gone back to college myself a couple years ago and just reinvigorated the learning process for me as an individual, and I've been able to carry that corporately throughout our organization. And I agree with Bob's thoughts on that. Um, I learn a lot myself through assessment. When I'm taking an exam or a test or something like that, a lot of them are open book tests. I learn more by doing the research at that point because it's a very pointed question, and I come to that conclusion. So uh, as Bob mentioned, it, it, we've really changed our training structure to that of uh listening to a panel this is what the industry feels they need and then we we vet that out provide the training and then come up with the assessment afterwards and are, are we hitting those targets and you know learning objectives to me is a, is a big thing we need to be very clear during this section you will learn this and then, then the attendee goes ah that's what i'm paying attention to right now and that that's the objective of this session so no participation
0: trophies anymore
2: Nope. Nope not, nope. not with me. One of the things I do, Carm, we all do the seminar-style training like we were talking about before we came up here. Um, and you kind of have to do that because it's like an open house to get people familiar with the training that's being provided and everything else. But I have a 60-questionnaire pretest, if you want to call it that, that when I'm talking to shop owners or a group of shop owners and they're interested in the training, I tell them, hey, I can provide you this pre-assessment test, send it out to all your guys. They don't have to put their name on it or anything like that. They can use a number system where only you know the answer to who's who on the number. And I have them take that, and it has a whole host of different topics for questions. So anything from basic electricity to computer-controlled diagnostics to whatever, and now when I go back and I grade these tests, I'll give them back to the shop owner and I'll say, you know, you've got you sent, you know, five guys to this pre-assessment type of test here. You know, three of them are kind of kind of weak in basic electricity, let's say, and you know, this guy could probably use some more computer control training or whatever. And this way they have a a pretty good understanding of what what their needs are per on an individual basis. And then it's up to the shop owner to decide, you know, possibly do I want to just send all five guys to all the training or do I want to just maybe save some of my training dollars and send just the guys to those sections of the classes that I think they need more more help in. Is this the future? Is that what Bosch is doing?
1: Yes. Uh, that we've, we've started, if, if you went to the AVI On Demand site and you clicked on the Bosch logo, the very first tab you would see is Knowledge Assessments. And we have six of them that are 10 questions in length. And we have topics like GDI, common rail diesel, uh, fuel pumps, oxygen sensors. So it's a theme based upon parts we sell, but also from an educational perspective. So 10 questions, you score 80% or better, then you know the content. You could use the rule of two and say, if I went to this seminar, I'll learn two things and I'll be happy. But that's not enough. Those guys know what they're doing. If you score 30 to 70%, you know that seminar is right. So the shop owner knows out of five technicians, I have three individuals that scored in that 30 to 70%. One guy scored 80% or better. And then I had one person that only got one question right. So the shop owner can say, you know what, this, this seminar, you know, what we're targeting, if you're going to go to a Bosch GDI seminar, you would then know that person needs remedial training. It may be too advanced for them. You may send them anyways, but at least now we know... Who are the right individuals that need to go to training? Then we send them to a training seminar. So they attend a GDI seminar uh, taught by Bosch. And then you complete the seminar, and you kind of alluded to it earlier. We don't give certificates of attendance anymore. We only give certificates of achievement. So when you're done with the seminar, you go back online, and you take a post-test, and you pass it 80% or better. You click the print button, and you print your own certificate. So if a shop owner knew Two of my technicians scored 40% on the assessment. They went to the seminar, and now they came back, and they both scored 90% or above. The shop owner truly knows the time spent by all was the right thing to do. So there's an ROI on their investment.
3: Correct.
0: Are you guys doing that at Standard?
3: Yeah. It's, it's a little different than that because we fit into our customers' overall training package. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know, the group, for example, might be hosting different classes put on by different vendors, and so they ask us to fill different slots throughout the year. So it's hard to qualify a guy coming into one of those. Um, but is, but shouldn't that change? It depends, because as we mentioned earlier, sometimes it's an open house; it's kind of a customer pre- appreciation opportunity. Uh, no, I, I get that. the open house. So I, I really uh, do.
0: But when you're done with the open house, uh, can you convince the guys to go deeper?
3: Yeah. And, and that's where we have the, the three different training options ourselves. We have hands-on, come to our facility, we'll do a deep dive two-day hands-on class if you want to. We also have the online training component, so that's for the guys that leave the class and go, "Huh, I wish I could know more about this. Come to online. You, you know, there's, there's always the guys like probably the three of us here are the propeller head technicians ourselves. <laughs> you know, we might know a lot about it, but we want to learn even more about it and so we have that option to go a little bit deeper than what's at the class Um, we've just developed an app it's actually in testing just came out yesterday Um, similar to what bob said we're no longer giving a just a certificate of consuming oxygen that night in the room Uh, after the class you can log into the app and then go take a a question or an assessment test afterwards and if you get the 80 percent or greater now you print off a uh, certificate of successful completion for CEUs. But the the app is new. But you've always been doing absolutely post, pre, and post assessment. Uh, no, that's new for us as well. It is. Yes. Okay.
1: How long has Bosch been doing it? A couple of years now. Okay. We started about two two and a half years ago. John here at AVI are they doing
2: this pre and post? I know that AVI is doing it. Yeah. For my personal company in Ohio, mm-hmm. I've been probably doing the pre assessment for about. I want to say close to 10 years. I don't do a post-assessment, you know, because I'm dealing with the local guys Mm -hmm. in my backyard, so to speak. So their post-assessment is actually their bosses, service managers, whatever, are seeing that they're now capable of doing better diagnostics. And they're not misdiagnosing cars or repairing cars more um more efficiently quicker whatever the case happens to be are you finding that you're
0: getting called by independent shop owners and says hey come on out for a weekend and give us this class one particular shop no matter what the cost is he says listen i got a bunch of buddies and we're going to we're going to split your cost and come out here let's do a let's do a day of theory and let's do a friday
2: or and then do a saturday hands on are you are you doing that yeah when i first got started i used to i At first, just did local training. And then I had the good fortune, I wrote a couple books that won some awards and stuff. So then it opened up the national market for me. And that gave me a lot of exposure. But I was trying to sell classes outside of my state. And without any failure, what would always happen is I'd sell a class and we are supposed to have 15, 20 guys, so the finances would make sense. But when I show up that first night of the class, there's three or four guys that never bothered to show up. Well, now the finances don't make sense anymore. So now what I do is I basically, if Ryan were to call me up, which he's not going to, but if he were, if he was a shop owner, <laughs> nothing say, personal. Yeah, <laughs> if he was a shop owner and said, "Hey, you know, I I'm in Michigan area and I I got a group of guys and we want to do a class," I say, "That's fine. This is my fee plus whatever the travel expenses are." And I'm going to charge you. Now, you can include as many people in this class up to a certain level as you want. But at the end of the night, I'm only coming to you for the money. I don't care Correct. if Billy down the street hasn't paid you yet or anything else. That's that's all on you. So ever since I started doing that, which was probably about five years ago, I've never had a problem with, with making it make sense financially. People are still class. showing up? Um, They're still showing up. You good, know?
3: good. That's not, not his problem anymore. Yeah. No, you know, it's not your problem anymore. And I want to give him props quick a minute. He yeah. wrote a, one of his award-winning books, was a really a life-changer for me at one point. So it's kind of cool how things come full circle. And which, which book I was that? see that. that was one of his uh, Silver Bullet. Which Oh, it was a Silver Bullet book? Book. Uh, I, I still actually have that somewhere I should bring it up for him to autograph wow. at some point. Wow,
2: that, that <laughs> makes me feel good, right? <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> wow, Silver Bullets. Yeah, yeah. That, That's, how, that's what, how business is done today, right?
2: Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I got a lot of I got yep, a lot of yep. hatred from my fellow peers for making that book because they all said I wasn't teaching the guys anything. But all of us in the room were technicians once ourselves, and I feel honestly as a technician when you attend a training class, it's more than you just want to come away learning one or two things. You you want an element that you could take what you just covered the night before, the day before in class. And put it to use immediately, and see a return on investment. Mm-hmm. And that was my theory behind that book. You know, if you, it was all about pattern failures, and if you had a check engine light come in, or whatever, the case happened to be stalling, or whatever. If you looked in this one general area, had a picture, and you saw that that vacuum hose was split or whatever, well, that helped you diagnose the car, and it helped you make money. So it wasn't really a Dedicated training class. It was more like a return on investment for coming into the classes.
0: So part of our title here is uh, how to navigate your training needs. How do we tell the service professional to uh, literally? Uh, I know the assessments are right. Uh, once we we get them, how how do they go about picking what they what they need to do to keep their shop at the highest levels of of latest technology and repairs, which which breeds efficiency which breeds happy customers.
3: I think part of the difficulty is availability of finding that training, right? I mean, we do over 2,500 events a year, live on-site classes, which sounds like a lot, but sometimes we're hitting a market only three, four times a year. And so, and that's, we've got 30 classes in our syllabus, you know, if... if, What you're saying, it's not enough for the size of the industry. Correct. However, the same faces keep showing up. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are preaching to the choir, and I saw in a in a Facebook post the other day. I think it was Matt Fanslow said something. How do we increase the size of the choir?
0: Yeah, you
3: know. Well, let's talk about that. Well, what do we do? That's that's the magical question, right?
1: That we all, if we could figure that out, that would be the silver bullet.
0: That would right? be the best silver bullet. out. Even, <laughs> even more job security than you currently have.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's to me, it's a combination of things that the shop owner has to have the courage to dig into their individual technician skill sets and then have the courage then to say they need training and I don't care what it costs. Investing in my technicians is the future of my business. Flip side of that could be presented that I'm a technician. I want to call myself a professional. I want to be paid a top wage. So shouldn't I be working on my skills in order to become more successful and better employed as a as a capable person. So Mm -hmm. it always seems like the shop owner is the one that is held responsible for training his individuals who work for him. Shouldn't there be a responsibility as myself? I I expect, you know, for out of myself to get the training that I need to do my job, Mm -hmm. whether it be learning Adobe Illustrator or how to do a video or whatever, those are skill sets I didn't have as a technician but I knew they would be useful as a training developer. So I went and got that training. I didn't expect Bosch to pay for me to go learn how to do Adobe Adobe Illustrator. That was my responsibility to sharpen my skills. So I think it's a two-way street. You know, the training providers are out there. We all have empty seats in our classrooms that we would love to have more individuals in those seats. So I don't think it's a capacity issue. It's a matter of... A desire to show up and attend those events. Well, it's personal drive,
3: right? It's uh, I, I have the same story and same feelings as, as Bob. There for myself as a technician, I was driven to succeed. I I don't whether it's ego or pride or whatever, I wasn't going to let a shot or a car leave my bay that I could not fix. And so training was the key to to the success on that. And that was driven by me. Fortunately, I found an employer that allowed me to, you know, kind of grow my wings and invested in that. Um, and so that's where I. I I always go back to that. And I've said that in many other podcasts. It starts with the individual pushing. If the, bot, if the shop owner is forcing the employees to go, you're going to have not as good results. So, John, you got a platform here. You're a shop owner. You're a trainer. Mm-hmm. Everything
0: that we've talked about, you've experienced. I have. What's the, what's the message to not only – maybe it's not the shop owner that we need to talk to, but like Ryan says, maybe it's, maybe you need to do a, a mono-to-mono with the technicians that, are, that will watch this and say, listen, guys –
2: I I can tell you from my personal experience, my father, I was fortunate. My father had an auto repair shop. When I was 11 years old, my dad came to me on summer break and said, hey, you're coming to work with me tomorrow. So I'm thinking not really what my summer plans were, but (laughs) from that point on, I was going to my father's shop every single day. Even once school started again, my mom would pick me up from school, take me to my dad's shop. So I had the great luxury of having more experience than anybody else. So when I got to be of age to go to high school auto mechanics, I was the top in my class. Not necessarily because I deserved to be the top, but I was just around it with way mm-hmm. more experience. Right. Unfortunately, my ego did not let me see the big picture of things. So I graduated high school I'm now working full time at my father's shop and I'm thinking I have more knowledge and experience than these guys that have been doing this for 30 years because I never experienced any kind of failure. Cause my experience is up to that point where I was around it for a long time. If I didn't know something, it wasn't really my problem. It was uh, more my dad's no problem. responsibility <laughs> and I never experienced failure about that time. There was talk about licensing the industry in Ohio. And there was like this beta program. And they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to allow you to take a test to see if you can pass out of these different modules. My dad, being the smart man he was, went ahead and sent me to that test. That was the first time in my life I realized I didn't know anything that I thought of, that I knew. I mean, I failed all three of the different modules of that. And from that point on, I said, this was like, it was like somebody hit me upside the head with a brick because I honestly thought my skill level was way higher than what it really was. So that was what opened the door for my personal desire to want to learn to you, be you know, the best. Guys, that's
0: a great message yep. for every tech in our industry. My skill level,
2: <laughs> I, I thought
0: my skill level was higher than, than it was. Mm-hmm. And the survivalship of, you know, forget, let's not even talk about the technician shortage. Let's talk about technician competency, the, the, yes. the, the team that we have mm-hmm. in play. Mm-hmm. And, and in your classes that you're all doing, are, are, first of all, you're probably thrilled that you can do knowledge transfer, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and they're walking away with this stuff. They say, wow, we, we graduated another t- class of 12 or whatever the number is. And, and I know they'll be better for it. And so will the industry. Do you get through to every one of them?
1: Mixed results. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, it. we can only deliver the knowledge. It's up to the individual sitting in the seat to absorb the knowledge and then transfer the knowledge to where they work. You know, usually in every class we do, I try to make sure we assign homework assignments. I won't be there to grade the homework. But if we teach start-stop technology or we teach evaporative emissions or whatever the case may be, if we presented a principle... And then we encourage you to go practice that principle as soon as you get back to the shop. The chances of knowledge transfer and usage will be tremendous. So that's something we've Mm -hmm. added to our hands-on courses. When you come for the two-day hands-on course, you go through the process. Then we give you the tasks that you have to do when you take it back to the shop. Mm -hmm. If you don't hand in your homework after you get back to the shop, so we taught you how to current ramp a fuel pump using a lab scope. We've gone through all that process. You practiced it in the two-day class. Now you have to go back and show the shop owner you can do that same task there. If you don't hand in your homework, you do not get a certificate. So, you know, shop owners would always encourage, you know, that hands-on training and a transfer of knowledge. But if you don't practice what you've learned, it disappears. So for me, you know, almost, you know, I was thinking you were taught how to do something, but you really didn't know why right. you were doing right. it, Exactly. Right? And that's, at an early age, I was lucky. My dad did 42 years at a Dodge dealership. So from the time I was 11 years old, I was in the dealership on a regular basis. By the time I was 16, I was done with school. I graduated as a junior. I only wanted to work on cars. I had no interest in doing anything else. I am not going to college. I'm going to work on cars because I love doing it, and it became a passion. I was lucky because every person that worked with my dad said, you're not allowed to do it until you know why. And you're going to do a procedure. You're going to go step by step in the service manual. You're not going to skip steps because you don't know what steps to skip. You're going to know why you do it. You're going to know the theory of operation. And if you know that, then it doesn't matter. I don't need a trouble chart. I don't need a silver bowl. And that was kind of the the issue of the time, right? That people talk about where well, you're getting troubleshooter cartridge. Here are the top five things that could go wrong. To me, you know, and I'm I'm sure that there's people out there that might, you know, be pulled back. The worst thing we ever did in our industry was create a troubleshooter cartridge. It's the worst thing that ever happened. Here's the code, here are the five things that could be wrong. And what did technicians do? They didn't test. They said, Well, number one must be the most common, so let me just so they, do that. Inventory diagnostics. Yes. Swap
3: swaptronics? <laughs> there's always yep. parts canon, all kinds of names yeah, for this. Lots stuff. of names. But you quickly realize a pattern here. John got in it because his dad, Bob got in it because his dad yeah. I had the misfortune. My dad was a, a Detroit diesel mechanic. So mm-hmm. guess, guess how we all ended up. In the yeah. Interesting. But Interesting. But
1: we still had passion, right? Because oh, I have a brother who wants to have nothing to do with the automotive industry, right? Mm-hmm. So not all siblings become mm-hmm. right. great right. technicians, right? right? You have to have a desire because if you went and you visited at a shop and, and you spent a couple of days there and said, oh, this is not for me. Your dad would have figured that out pretty fast and say, this is probably not for them. He mm-hmm. still had to babysit you, right? Still had to take you there and hang out. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you find a passion. My brother went to the same dealership as I did, three years younger than but he has no desire whatsoever to turn a wrench.
0: If your customer has a vehicle they like, they shouldn't have to get rid of it because the engine, transmission, or differential failed. You know, because you and your customer know the vehicle maintenance, there's no reason they can't keep it on the road. Depreciation, license, insurance, interest, add them all up and they'll probably total more than it would cost to install a remanufactured product from Jasper Engines and Transmissions. Personal finances only go so far. Daily living expenses, college for the kids, and, as we all hope, retirement. So before your customer rushes out to buy a new or a newer used vehicle because their engine or transmission has failed, contact Jasper and find out how a remanufactured product from Jasper Engines and Transmissions can extend the life of your customer's present vehicle for an amount much less than the higher expenses that come with a vehicle trade. Give their vehicle a new lease on life with Jasper. Guys, has anyone come up to you in class during a break at the end and said, Ryan, I am so challenged by tech. I'm so glad I'm here. Thanks for helping me through this. What can I do? I mean, what, what can I do to get better? What what I mean, are you just trying yeah. to tell a person if it's not in here, but it's not in the heart, I can't help you, but it's got to be in the heart.
3: A lot of the times as people go, how do I get on your path? You seem to have had a successful career as a technician, right? What steps do I need to take? Uh, and there's a lot of great libraries. I mean, we've got, everybody's got videos here. There's a lot of self-study stuff that people can do. Yeah. Uh, to piggyback yeah. on, on what Bob was saying earlier, um, I store a bunch of my favorite quotes on my phone, and just yesterday I was scrolling through, and one came up from Bernard Shaw, and it said, uh, "If you teach a man, he will learn nothing. It's all about the action he takes afterwards, and he needs to put that into play." So we can tell people to blow in the face, and that's my one recommendation I give to people: go out and practice what I just taught you tonight. You know, we we gave you all kinds of information. There's probably a lot of stuff you even missed in my presentation, or I didn't cover. But go back and read it and put it to to practice. I remember in the late '90s. I grew up in the in Michigan so it's the big 3 right I wanted to learn about Volkswagen well how do I learn about Volkswagen bought myself a VW Jetta and a Vagcom and a laptop and boy did I learn a lot about VW that way by owning one yep. you know and, and same with probably John and hybrids how do you learn about this stuff you, you you own one you drive one you tear it apart you dig into it and that's tech, technicians are hands on type people are you an anomaly no <laughs> there are guys doing the same thing yeah, today, for sure. They're for saying, sure. Well, "I'm so
0: committed to learn this particular model, this platform, this this uh, concept, this theory that I'm all in on it, and I'm going to be the best that I possibly can be." Yet, we're seeing the same people in the classes, and and we need we need more to be engaged. And I'm the word that I heard was commitment. That's the word that I heard. Total. Unadulterated deep end of the pool commitment, and if and if that commitment was there, yeah. You know, I'm sorry, I'm having a you know. Every, every time I think of a concept, I start thinking, well, I'm not being paid, but you know, x amount. And why should I, and am I in a dead end career? Will this, will this shop survive? Why, 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 you know, it goes back Mm -hmm. to to the, you know, if it's, if it's not good at home, if it's not good inside, then I can't get the energy to get up to make the commitment to be a forever student.
2: Right. Well, the, the commitments, three parts. I mean, we've talked about the student, we talked about the shop owner and, you know, there's there's tons of good shop owners out there that require X amount of training hours per year. You know, there's tons of good technicians out there that want good training. Um, But there's also the commitment of the trainer because it's our jobs to make sure that when we deliver information on whatever subject that, it's actually relative information. It's it's information that they can use and information that they need. But we have to also try to reach every single person that's that's actually in attendance. Now it's it's hard to do if if you make a video and somebody buys a video, it's limited as to what they're gonna get out of it because there's no one on one interaction. But if you're in a live training class, it's our jobs as professionals to make sure that even if somebody's lagging behind to pick up on the subtle clues that I just said something and I could tell by the expression on these people's face, they don't understand what I just said. Mm-hmm. Or I can understand that everybody does, but this guy in the back corner, I know he this is way over his head. So I got to I got to give him more special, not to the expense of the rest of the class, but I got to give him more special attention so that He's, he might not walk away with as much as everybody else is getting out of the class, but he's walking away with a lot more than he would have if he just sat there and I didn't pick up on those things. So it's, it's, it's a, a commitment. You got the perfect word, but it's a commitment on everybody, all the players parts. In the okay. Industry. You said, you said student shop owner. And what was the third instructor? Uh, the, the person yeah. delivering the class has to, has to be able to do that, you know? You're kind of performing
3: your own little assessment right there. I mean, Exactly. That, that, that's what I think about in a school setting. That's the purpose of assessments, to understand the the learning path of each individual student. I mean, if the, if the teacher in high school is doing the, their job properly and using assessments properly, everybody leaves the class with an A sure. because you give some people a little more attention and tutoring and bring them up here. And so, as you mentioned, as an instructor, you have to be able to cater to somebody and go, okay, did I judging by the puzzled looks in the room here or we use poll questions we have little remote devices and if not everybody answered the question right okay maybe i need to step back here a little bit and and explain this a little different way and try and get that aha moment to happen and and make the point clear before we move on with something and, and as you mentioned you have to be very aware of the audience there and sure understanding who's picking up on what when
1: someone comes up to me and asks that similar question what should i do you know the my re- Bounce back to them is, well, what do you feel you're missing? What, what do you feel, what do you know you're not capable of doing today? Because I, I can't really answer the question until you tell me what you feel that you're deficient in. Are you struggling with diagnosing with electricity? Are you struggling with, you know what a lab scope is, you have one, but you don't know how to use it. So until you provide me with what you believe are the, the deficiencies you have at this point in time, then... You know, I'm not able to right. answer the question. And, and, you know, all of us get the similar question: What's the next scan tool should I buy? What's the next <laughs> piece of equipment should I buy? And I have to respond: I don't know. I don't know your shop. You I don't. don't I what don't, do you work on? You know. So yeah. let's talk about that. What do you have? What are you struggling with? What are the times when you you were told by service information to perform this task, or you went to a class where a lab scope was shown? Do you have those tools? Do you know how to use those tools? And that's when we, as instructors, I think. Can provide the proper advice. I think the difficulty is, is how do I figure out if I should go to a John class, a standard class, a Bosch class, a Napa class, a world, which one should I go to to fill that deficiency gap? And I think that's a, an issue that we have to work on as a training industry to help provide that piece that says, here's the deficiencies you would fill right. if you attended
3: these courses. Well, for the survival of the aftermarket, we all need to work together to keep training our customers there. Otherwise, uh, yes. we, we fold up and it all becomes a dealer specialty world. Scary thought. It is. I, fe- I think it was you and I
0: chatted yesterday for just a moment. This whole commitment. If you sat down with someone and says, Bob, I'm ready to make a commitment. Would you say then you need to take these basic classes over
1: and over again? And what would they be? Uh, you know, that's it's it 's a one hundred percent true statement if you have to go back to the basics mm-hmm. you know typically when when we receive phone calls for technical support or a variety of things, or someone has attended a course and they have questions, when they get stuck it 's usually because they forgot to use the old basic strategies and rules right and that 's what happens sometimes when we when we 've been in the business a long, long time. You know, we start making assumptions based upon what we've seen in the past, and we have to, to guard against that and make sure that we follow best recommended practices. And I'm not saying that, that you know, your gut, and gut will tell you many times you're heading the right direction, but when your gut fails you, you got to go back to the basics and principles. And to me, that's for us in, in the technology we're talking about, you know, if you do not have a strong, you know, foundation in electricity, those fundamentals, if you don't really know how to perform a voltage drop if you don't know what that means on the ground side this or that you're going to be stuck and the other piece i'll throw out there you can go to a service manual right now i could point out several manufacturers which i won't bring them up (laughs) but right now you could go to a manual and they would tell you to diagnose a fuel pump and you're checking the circuit and the manual for a late model vehicle says unplug the connector put your multimeter in series with the connector turn the key on and check for voltage And if the voltage is above 12 volts or wherever that voltage value is in the spec, you have passed the test, replaced the fuel pump. Now, in the same manual, in the preface, it shows you how to perform a loaded voltage drop test. But if you don't have a good foundation and you don't know you've been led astray, how do you know that you were just told to do something incorrect? And it's in service information now. So, unless you have a good foundation, you won't be able to read the tea leaves and say, hmm, somebody's taking me down the wrong path. I need to use my knowledge that I've learned and not follow the trail of broken dreams that ends with replaced with no good part. That's
3: a Mark Warren deal. <laughs> you know, That's <laughs> something he
1: coined many, many uh, years ago.
3: But, but you probably face the same thing I do. How, how successful are you selling a basic electricity? Well, now, class? wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so, so here we go. All right, yeah. so here's
0: my question. Do yeah. you have a, a, a title called Basic Electricity for the Advanced Technician?
3: We, we just came out with a six part series on our on demand classes yeah. because uh, we found that while well, people might not show up to a basic electricity class in front of their peers, you know their ego won't allow them to do it, people do some pretty strange stuff online in the privacy of their own home, right? Including watching basic electric <laughs> <laughs> classes. So, <laughs> uh, so we, we, just we, we just broke the code here.
0: We just broke the code. All right. So get in your PJs and watch a basic electricity class, but,
3: right? But that's it. There's so much stuff. Like even yesterday, uh, somebody caught me at lunch yesterday and said, okay, Ryan, I see you're doing an air conditioning class. What's the level of it? Is it for beginners or advanced technicians? And I'm like, I honestly don't know how to answer you here. I'm going to cover some very much basics. I did air air conditioning for 18 years. Granted, Michigan's usually on a Wednesday. We have summer, which is our air conditioning (laughs) season. But but I didn't know a lot of those basics. I was able to fix the cars, kind of as John was saying, but I didn't know exactly everything about it. And so my class yesterday was covering, and it's a little intimidating, this whole crowd here is from South Florida, I'm teaching them air conditioning, they know a lot more than I do, but without doubt, every one of them walked out and said, man, I learned some really cool stuff yesterday, I didn't realize I was supposed to flush it that way, and I didn't know I was supposed to evacuate the system for 45 minutes, so there's a lot of basics that people just aren't doing, and and they're making mistakes, and they're not doing the job right the first time, even though they're experienced guys and, and know the high level stuff, they forget the basics that allow them to be successful the first time. I'm a 20 year automotive aftermarket technician. I'm working in a pretty
0: decent shop. I haven't been to training in 10 years. Is my conscious bothering me? I mean, every every time a new challenge comes into the shop, am I thinking, "Whoa, man, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to phony through this diagnostics," so, you know? Maybe the shop isn't offering. Maybe they're not getting off their duff and making the commitment. And how do we get the majority of our industry to stop having that personal introspective and say, I'm not worthy to do the next job and make the commitment to get out and be trained because you just said it. It was a perfect example. Oh my God, I've been doing air conditioning for 20 years and you just rocked my world. I, I'm asking the same question I said earlier. I'm well currently sure. if
3: you're that twenty-year guy, you blame the parts manufacturer first. They gave me yeah. a junk compressor. Oh. you know that's our that's our internal joke is so. it takes four compressors to filter all the garbage out before you get a good one. Right. It's it's the same, the same thing, thing with the Bosch fuel pump. Yeah, exactly. the same thing.
0: It
1: takes three fuel pumps to clean the tank.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
3: Yeah. yeah. So they
0: they love to hate your fuel pump line. And and and, and every, every 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 manufacturer of fuel pumps gets their day in court when they just keep moving from you know, different brand to different brand just to to solve the problem they didn't diagnose right to start with.
1: Yeah, but I think going back to your, you know, the way you describe this individual, they're a veteran in the industry and they've taken 10 years off from training. Now they're either training on their own. Let's just assume that they're not getting training at all. They've made a decision. They're not reading a periodical or not going online. They're using service information as their guide. Now, if they have a solid foundation and they're able to look at service information and understand the principles are there, I feel that person has a good opportunity to still fix vehicles mm-hmm. in a reasonable manner. Are they as efficient as they can be? You know, are they exposed? If you have a shop that's not working on hybrids at all, you may not attend attended a hybrid class because you've made a decision that that's not what the shop should do. But I would say that would be the rare exception. If you haven't been to t- training in 10 years, the shop owner should be, looking at your efficiency and your strategy right. and probably your returns. And you're just plodding along in the industry, hoping that you don't get fired. Basically, you just said, the uh, uh, shouldn't we drag the shop owner in, in
0: this in this issue? Here, I've got somebody that has no, no, it hasn't trained in 10 years. And, and really, frankly, it should be my fault as the shop owner. Absolutely. I, mean, I don't care what kind of commitment you get. If I was a shop owner, wouldn't I be looking to build commitment within my team to recognize how important it
2: is to, you know, to, have, to have a training resume? You, you would be, but from talking to shop owners, their fear is, I'm going to train this person, this individual, and what's going to make that individual stay at my shop? Did I just train this guy for my competition that goes down the street? <laughs> that's always been their, yeah, that's, their number that's That's the worst. They'd in... rather
3: keep an uneducated technician yeah. on staff it's, than un- educate. It's <laughs> the worst excuse in the world, and I hope people would get off
2: of it. I, I agree. I mean, to go along with what Bob was saying, the foundation is by far the most important thing. I say that all the time. People ask me, you know, what does it take to diagnose vehicles or whatever? And basic electricity, I always find people are, most of the time lacking in that, but also being able to interpret data, You know, whether it's scan tool data or multimeter data or lab scope data. A lot of times they know how to plug their scan tool in. They know how to pull the trouble codes. They know how to pull up some data stream, but or do they fully understand what that data stream is trying to tell them? You know, hey, I got fuel trim values and it's positive, positive eight you know what is what is that actually trying to tell me why is that happening where should i go next to do what types of tests you know that's that's what i feel is is lacking the most you know it, you almost need like a like a mastering data analysis class if you could develop something like that for any situation that people come into they do it but in a nutshell with today's technology. As more difficult as it is to diagnose, it's also easier in some aspects. A lot of times you pull a code out. Back in before obd two and everything else, you pull a code out, you would have to diagnose that code. If you just replaced that, whatever that code component was, you probably weren't fixing the car. It's not necessarily the case anymore. You pull an EVAP code out, most people will look at this and they'll say, you know what? it's probably going to be the vent solenoid or whatever, depending on what the code happens to be. And they've got about a 50-50 shot where it wasn't ever that high of odds before. And a lot of times shop owners and technicians are just playing those odds. You know, they're saying, well, most of the time when I pull this code out and it's giving me these results, most of the time it's this part. If it's not this part, I'll worry about it after I put that part on. And that's where the the parts guys it ends up in my warranty play. bin. Yep. Yeah, they <laughs> right. they come into play and they say, "Hey, you know, I didn't misdiagnose a car. It must be a faulty fuel pump or whatever." So that's where so so the difference. So, so comes there's in. there's techs out there that uh, pride themselves
0: in putting the the right part on based on the 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 tree and and, and yes, no questions and everything getting, getting to the the real source. But if we're putting, if we're putting on a part and, and that didn't solve the problem, now we go to the next step. Are they sending that back to you because they don't want to charge the customer? I may know the answer to that question.
1: It (laughs) depends, right? It depends upon the philosophy of that repair shop, right? I mean, I, you know, most of us have heard, you know, cars that are 150% better than when right. they came in. What right. I mean by that is they put the first part in, and, you know, you get the phone call, didn't fix it, but we made it 20% better. better. But I need to replace this part. You know, that one was old, and now I need to replace this next one because it's also old. So we're we're kind of working through it. And then you get the call back, and we need to get approval for more money. Well, we made it another 30% better, but it's still not <laughs> fixed. And eventually it reaches, the car's 150% better than it was, but it's still not fixed, and now it's at the next shop. And it's still not fixed, right? It's, <laughs> well, well
3: there, there's some almost truth to that as well. And I'm actually, at our international sales meeting, uh, our company celebrating a hundred year birthday here, quick plugs to you. Yeah. Um, great company. And, and so, at our our international sales meeting here, I'm actually doing a session for our sales force on associated part sales. You know, if you get a vent restriction code, and quite often I'll see a shop sell a vent solenoid, comes back two days later <laughs> for a canister, and now they fix it. Why didn't you just sell both of the components up front? It cost you an extra 60 bucks, but oh. but but it's that much better at this point. Well, why didn't right? you hook up the proper tool,
1: well, use <laughs> your flow meter and your pressure gauge, Right. in five minutes you would have known if the canister was restricted, right? right? So you made a good guess. You think, well, you know, vent solenoids do plug up. You have to prove it. You have right. to do the rule right. of two. I have a good hunch I should prove my scenario. Rule of two, can I prove it? Can I, with 100% certainty know that i'm doing the correct job i mean i, I just heard that scenario three days ago yeah. from a shop it had been to a couple of other shops and the telltale sign from the consumer was i'm having trouble fueling the vehicle so they went right to the vent solenoid right they replaced the purge solenoid they replaced the filler <laughs> neck they never hooked up a smoke machine with a flow meter and right. a pressure gauge to see how it could and the it. shop that got yeah. it went out there and in Five minutes, literally five minutes new, you have a restriction, let's go to the back, and sure enough, you know, it, it had a plugged-up charcoal canister. So, I mean, that's the thing that, that you get to is how do you prove it? How do you right.
3: know in your gut that you're doing the right thing? Or well, even post-testing, after the repair? Yes. You know, it, it, Carmen, I think to go back to your original question, I think it all comes back to a shop management ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, the good shops, the ones that are probably watching this, the ones that are attending training— They've bought in. They understand the investment required to do this, and and they build in the ability for the technician to do post testing after he's made the re- repair to verify. I mean, that, that should be—it's common sense. We would think is when you're done diagnosing and repairing the vehicle, you retest it again to make sure that you've actually fixed the correction or corrected the issue that the customer brought it in for. It doesn't happen too often. I've seen way too many technicians pull the car out in the parking lot and say, "Yep, it's done."
1: code's clear checking his light didn't come back on it's done that rarely
2: ever happens from my experience (laughs) yeah you know if they feel confident that they've got it repaired like you say they're going to take it for a road test maybe they'll look at some mode six data or something if they've been in some training but Mm -hmm. they don't take the time to if it takes put it this way if it takes longer than 10 minutes to verify the repair it's probably not getting verified right right Man, i tell you, this has been
0: great. can't even believe I have you three in this room. This is so cool. And you know, what I started to think about is your stuff has been so powerful. Like you said, mm, the ones that are watching this, the ones that come to training don't need it. They get it. They understand it. So I guess my appeal to anyone who's out there on Facebook uh is to, you know, maybe share this within your own network and say... Hey, Joe, you really need to watch this little discussion and maybe it may change you and give you a bigger, better, stronger commitment for the job that you have, for the person that you're working with and for, and also to the profession that you've committed
3: to. It's kind of like the old adage of, I can't change the world, but to one person, I can change their world. And that's what I think is is huge. If we can reach one person yeah. and they reach another person and it grows organically through that. I've got friends that are on both sides of the spectrum. Some are very successful shop owners that are very committed to training and invest highly in their, in their staff. And then there's the other ones that go, eh, they wouldn't even go to a free class because they don't see the value or they've got other things to do yet. Every day they're struggling. I can't find a good technician to come work for me. I can't, you know, I spent eight hours on this car. And so, when anybody has any type of objection to any type of cost for training, they go, well, how would you diagnose this vehicle? Well, you know, we spent six hours the other day doing it. Well, what are you billing? Let's say you're billing $100 an hour. You just wasted $600 trying to fix that one car. If you would have spent $100 on training, you would have learned how to fix that car. And, and so training doesn't cost. It pays. And, and there's huge benefits in that. Yeah. You know, it's, to me it's a three legged stool. It's something I taught, you know, for
1: quite a few years is there's three things you need to be successful a properly trained technician with the right tools and the right service information. If it's taking you six hours to do anything and it's repeatable, you have issues, one of those three things is missing, and you should be, as a shop owner, capable of determining what those three things are. If you can't determine that as a shop owner, you need training as a shop <laughs> owner. Correct. to understand your individuals and if you're not capable of doing that then hire a consultant that knows how to analyze your technicians mm-hmm. that knows how to figure out what their skill set deficiencies are and then let's plug that let's right. plug that leak we can help and and you're 100 correct i have a passion i won't give up your guys are not going to give up we're going to keep training the people that we want to train we're going to try and cast the net and get a few more disciples in our programs <laughs> and we're going to keep trying we're going to keep working and we're going to keep working and we'll get there
0: i love it
3: disciples yep i mean really yep. i mean that's what you're trying to make right. right? We use that a- analogy i've got a full time development staff that re- that researches and writes and goes through the the process of validating our material and then we do train the trainer and we said that's kind of like handing the material off to the disciples sure and then they go out and spread the word cool. uh yep. every night throughout the country so I was at Vision. Uh, we, did our, we did a live town hall maybe three
0: weeks ago. Um, Mark Roberts was there. He's a shop owner. And he said, I'm going to technical classes, even though I haven't teched mm-hmm. for a long time. Kudos. We asked him, you know, what was his motivation to do that? He says, so I know what
3: training my guys need. Yes. Well, and another thing, I always encourage shop owners to uh, send the service writer in. So my previous shop, it's mandatory now. The service writer goes to every class. Like the air conditioning class I did yesterday, a highlight is don't replace just the compressor. You need to replace the accumulator, the orifice tube, and now the condenser and possibly the, the cooling fan because it's not drawing airflow again. That's all going to add up to longevity and better performance of the compressor. So... In my old days, I'd go there as a technician. I'd come back with all this great new knowledge, and I'm telling the service writer, it's got a bad compressor, but we have to replace this, this, and this. And he goes, well, no. (laughs) Why do we do that? I've done it this way forever. (laughs) This is what I'm doing. Right. And and he says, I'll never use those compressors. They always blow up. Well, (laughs) so by having the service writer attend the technical training or the shop owner attend the technical training, they understand what the technician just learned and why they're making the recommendations that they are. It's It's a homogeneous
0: um, relationship and communications and knowledge it, it's just it's one big ball i mean everybody's needs to be in it yes okay hey look at uh we're at avi we're at their uh, uh wonderful training seminar here we're upstairs in in one of the offices so glad to have had uh ryan coyman director of training standard motor products bob pattengale national training manager for bosch and john foro from ast and automotive instructor here at avi I want to give you a, a one last thing to help, help you sum it up. I, I want to use the word future. Wow, it's coming at us hard, hot, heavy. If, we're not, if, you're, if you're not getting trained as a technician, if you're not getting trained as a shop owner to know what's coming up, how lost are we going to be in the next two to three years? Or five or ten, however you want to take a look at it, because I know you guys are seeing things and dealing with stuff. I mean, you gotta, mm-hmm. you you know what's coming up in the next two or three years. So God, you guys are inventing it at Bosch, uh, guys. Give me give me a summary on that
2: on the future. It, it's going to be tough, you know. For if with all the changing technology that evolves every day, I think it was Matt Fanslow, if I'm not mistaken, put a post or forwarded a post on Facebook that said. The automotive industry is second to computer code only to Google.
3: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So I well, let's I not re- give Matt too much credit. I know he's watching this actually.
2: We don't have to get too big. Yes. Maybe yes. yes, 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 yeah, me too. I read that and that really sums up the point you're trying to make, Carnam. You know, it's the technology is, is changing at such a rapid pace and everybody talks about technician shortages and everything else. I think I think the industry has to change, but also the consumer's beliefs have to change. You know, the typical consumer has no idea what, what caliber of technician is needed to be able to properly diagnose and repair these vehicles. And that... That is one area that I think if you make the consumer's mindset change somehow, magically. One at a time,
0: the education process is up to the shop owner, is up to the service writer or advisor. It is up to us in the shop to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know you agree or disagree. Because who's who in the industry is going to promote that?
3: Well, to piggyback on john 's point there, I think he just answered the question there of who 's going to do this well, we start promoting this as a high tech industry yep. not only to our customers but also to the people we're trying to recruit and draw into this it 's no longer the the dropouts the the misfits whatever it, we now start recruiting those people you okay you can't get hired at Google come to the the second leading techno technological industry auto repair. And start drawing those people in there. Wow. and It's a new new opportunity for these type of people. So I like that, you know, I follow the, the the Koch brothers' adage of creative destruction. Each new technology destroys one old thing, but it creates probably ten new opportunities with it. That. That's where I feel we're at. Thank you for that, Bob. I'll let you have the last yeah, word. I
1: think the, you know I'd sum it up is we have millions and millions of cars on the road, and every person we're talking to right now has a mode of transportation whatever that brand is whatever the technology is associated with it everybody depends upon transportation and i think it's the the message that we need to get out there is someone has to fix these vehicles so when you're a young individual fourth fifth sixth grade we need to capture that as an opportunity for them that you can come into a great industry and you can be superman or superwoman that when something breaks you fix it and that that is a value that you that you you have a difficulty of explaining, but yet, when you're a technician and a car comes in on a hook and you fix it and it goes out the door, you don't realize that you put everybody's life back together in that mm-hmm. world. And that's the thing we don't stress. There's there's a great future in this industry, and and I would just say it at the very last statement is remember the basics. Hybrids didn't exist when I started, right? I started when fuel injection first began. You know what? I had a good foundation and I have adapted because I had a good foundation. So if we fixed that part of it, you can adapt to the technology that's coming out.
0: Thanks, guys. Thank Excellent you. job. Excellent job. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the
0: Premier Automotive Aftermarket Podcast. Until next time.